absolutely 100% shown everybody <laughs> what we do. What am I? What am I? What am I? And I'll just be like, yeah, you're like a 12, even though it goes up to nine. Well, now I'm a teacher, you know, this is, I'm, I'm not a nanny. Hey guys, welcome to Must See a Man About a Dog podcast, where I chat to people about anything but platitudes. It's a huge shit sandwich and we're all gonna have to take a bite. On today's episode, we have Jackie Coburn, who's a triple certified coach in Enneagram, Life and Neurolinguistic Programming. She's the CEO and founder of Table for Nine Coaching and the host of Table for Nine Podcast. Joining Jackie is Jennifer Louise, an award-winning public speaker, international number one best-selling author, CEO of Obsession Salon and founder of the successful Salon Club. Completing the crew is Freya Swain, a child inspirer, storyteller, princess hat wearer and boo-boo fixer. In other words, an international primary school teacher. My name is Elisa and I'm your host. Well, it's another sunny day here in England and joining me today are three equally as sunny personalities that I am just super excited to chat with. And talking about personalities, I think that makes sense to start with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for appearing on my podcast all the way from America. Thank you for having me. Um, Now, amongst other things, you are an Enneagram coach, if I pronounce that correctly. Yeah, yes. Can you describe to us what that is? Because to be fair, I have never heard of that before until I met you. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't. So I'm happy to. Um, It's essentially a personality typing system that it's got tons of variation, but it breaks people down into nine main personality types that it's basically instead of outside in to describe your personality, it's inside out to describe why. So it bases on your core fears, your motivations, your desires to describe your behavior. So it's really good for self-awareness, for connecting with your inner child, and for a lot of healing misunderstandings in your life. So I love to work with my clients on uh, giving language to the who, what, and why they are the way they are. And how did you get into this field of work? Oh, I had an emotional breakdown. I went through a season where I used it on myself, just I was working in finance and I was doing a bunch of other things. And I did six roles for for the price of one at a nonprofit and learned very quickly that I didn't have the language to describe myself to say, I'm not gifted in this area. I I can't do this. I'm not being modest. Uh, Put me with people, put me with, with, uh, with systems and ops. I can't do this. And I didn't have that. And so I I really crashed and burned. And that's when I found the Enneagram and uh, started to learn how to develop language for myself. So I wanted, when I wanted to be a coach, I kind of thought to myself, well, I don't want to give people a one size fits all plan because people are not one size fits all. I want to work with the person I'm working with. And I realized that if I integrated those closely enough that I would be able to help that individual have sustainable results. Mm, Yes. Corporate world can be very strenuous. Um, what do you guys think? Have you been in a in a situation where you felt burnt out? Yeah, totally. And I think it's when we get to that point, isn't it, that we look for something that can help carry us through that. And that's obviously what you've done, Jackie, found that vehicle to pull you through and then connect with it so deeply that you wanted to take that further. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it was one of those things where I felt like a mirror was held to my face and I was like, I, okay, I have to be honest with myself that there's no work-life separation anymore. I'm a miserable jerk in both places right now. So 
got to put that mirror in front of my face and deal with the person looking back at me. And so that was just kind of how I did it. Um, Jackie, can I ask, um, just out of curiosity, how has it been since the coronavirus? Have you had a lot of people kind of reaching out to you? Obviously, like there's a lot of uh, health anxiety and people with anxiety, you know, it'll be kind of like ramped up right now. Yeah, absolutely. Th- uh, thanks for for asking that. It's been bad here. So I haven't had many new clients. I've had maybe two in the last three months, which is fine. I've gotten time to work on my podcast and other things, but um, I've had a lot of people who aren't clients reach out to me to deal with their anxiety, like you had stated, but um, I, and I work with them. I work with them for free because it's a scary time and I would want that if I was, you know, laid off from my job and couldn't afford to go see a counselor. So, um, but I'm, I'm primarily not an anxiety coach or a health coach, but I still, you know, will work with any individual who knows I'm a coach and reaches out. Um, but I also think too, a lot of, I work with a lot of corporate companies. I, I travel and I work with companies and train their staff in this as well, because I, I have to, well, I have to convince them that there's no such thing as a work-life separation anymore. Um, you are who you are everywhere you go. And, you know, I think people are starting to realize once you're out of the office and once it's you just throw something on someone's desk and you leave, once you realize you have to call someone and ask for a request and see how they respond and see how they are in in these Zoom meetings, see how they are in their comfort zone, I think you start to realize that you're working with people. It's exasperating what's already happening and people are starting to see it. And so it's exciting to have my line of work be able to help people. Wow, that's fantastic. And Jackie, this idea of discovering what personality you are, is it easy to determine which box you fall into? I think it's a developed skill because I I mean, I've talked to people and within the first 60 seconds, based on what they're saying, I can tell what type they are. And then I've had to poke and probe and ask people questions because Here's the thing. I'm a genuine believer that your actions don't really mimic what your core fear is. It's kind of the other way around. It's like you have a fear and you might do X, Y, and Z because you're trying to help yourself from that fear. So I like to ask people hard questions and then poke and go, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? And then it finally gets to the bottom of it and um, you know, we can figure out their type from there. I didn't make peace with my type. I When I figured out – I'm a type two. I'm a helper. And when I saw the ugly parts of that type, I didn't eat for two days. I didn't talk to anyone for two days. I, I cried a lot and I was – because I felt very exposed and then I was like, okay, well, it's time to start the work. And so it's it's hard and that's why I think working with a coach on that is really helpful because it can be traumatizing if you just see the ugly parts of yourself and then you walk away. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I was just wondering if, Jackie, when people go out with you or, or they meet you, do they always go, what am I? What am I? Like always ask you what they are as soon as they meet you. Yes, I put a one time I put a, a question on Instagram and it was like, oh, um, what what would you want to know about the Enneagram type? And someone said, what type do you predict I am? And I was like, no, no, no. Are you free on Friday for lunch? Actually, and so we went out to lunch and I talked to them for just twenty minutes, and I was like, you're a type seven, and they were like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense because there's a stereotype for everyone, right? And um, and I explained to her A to Z what this type seven is. And she just looks at me. She's like, I'm a seven. So it's, if I, I can't I, I can't determine at face value, but I do get that question a lot. Like, what am I? What am I? What am I? And I'll just be like, yeah, you're like a 12, even though it goes up to nine. I'm like, you're 12. <laughs> like, Amazing. Is that, is, is, that, is that the one for uh, stop asking me questions? Yes. <laughs> 
You're the annoying type. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I love that. And also what you do with your coaching. It is so important to be able to create a positive environment uh, and be able to just turn someone's mind around who, due to stress or depression, just cannot see outside their box. Um, And talking about encouraging a positive environment, Freya, I'm sure you do this on a daily basis as well, but in a slightly different way. Could you perhaps give us an insight into a life of a primary school teacher? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, it's kind of our job to sort of be everything, you know. Anyone that has children will totally understand that. You've kind of got to be a nurse. You've kind of got to be a counsellor as well, um, an educator and, you know, kind of uh, a friend really as well, uh, especially for for key stage one, uh, which, which I'm with. And, you know, you've almost got to be a sort of um, a kind of mother nurturing kind of character as well. So you've got to wear a lot of hats in a day. But uh, it's, it's a fun job. It's a fun job. It's the best. And I guess you have to foster relationships, not just between children and yourself, but also with parents and build a strong relationship between school and home. Absolutely. And I think, to be honest, that's been my toughest challenge. Um, and especially working, I work in the international school market. So, you know, parents are actually clients, you know, they're paying. So with that comes uh, a sort of an extra layer, really. You know, they are a client. And for me, it's it's been challenging because, because you know, some parents can be quite demanding, <laughs> especially where, you know, where I am. So it, there's this real balance between being responsible and doing your job correctly, but then also kind of not going overboard and people pleasing too much but you know you really as an international teacher especially you really need to find the word no basically you know you go you know I'll try and help in the best way I can however you know there's a there's a cutoff point. Freya have you ever received any kind of direct pushback when you have put up a boundary with the parents I mean obviously they're clients right but everyone kind of has boundaries with clients when it comes to a certain thing and so have you ever received any kind of direct pushback when you know saying no or instating that boundary not too much to be honest I saw <laughs> I've sort of played it as nice as I can you know my first year was kind of really strange though I had some really strange things because obviously in the UK children start school at four and in the Czech Republic it's six so I had five-year-olds last year and the parents thought they were like babies, you know, so they were asking me, can you measure how much water the children are drinking? Can you weigh their food? And I'm kind of like, well, well, no, I'm a teacher, you know, this is, I'm, I'm not a nanny. Um, but I really had to kind of put rules in place quite early on, you know, with things like that, because, you know, some parents, I think, were, were kind of, I think it was cultural. But I think some parents were almost sort of confused about my role a little bit. But I think communication, you know, is the best thing. Just make it very clear, um, be as polite as possible and as friendly as possible. And that seems to have, that seems to have worked. Jackie and Jennifer, do you have children? Yeah, I do. I have two, a 19-year-old boy who's obviously an adult now, um, but a 12-year-old girl who's dearly missing school and her teachers. So Freya, how are you with your guys? You must be missing your students. Well, you know, we actually, because I'm in the Czech Republic at the moment, and uh, we went back on Monday. So it's been kind of a really weird week for us because we're kind of putting all these sanctions in place and all these special uh, special procedures. But I really did miss the children. But we, um, our school, quite lucky because we were doing video lessons because I've only got a small class. 
So I did see them uh, on a daily basis through, you know, through the wonderful thing that is the internet. Trying to do a PE lesson, though, with seven-year-olds over, over an application was, uh, it was interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I really miss them. And yeah, it, it was, it's been really nice to see them, you know, in, in person, in real life, <laughs> three-dimensional. One of the really lovely things that's come out of um, coronavirus with my daughter being at home and, and her relationships with her teachers and headmaster at school, we was um, speaking with some friends in the park the other day and she kept saying, you know, three times she mentioned the same thing, you know, Mr. our head teacher, all he worries about is our mental health, not that we're doing the work. And I just felt what a strong leader that man is to have a 12-year-old you know, standing there, raising the flag for him, saying, you know, my head teacher cares about my mental well-being, not the amount of work that I'm doing. Just, it was so lovely to hear. I think you teachers do so much for our, our, our children. And, yeah, massive thank you to all the teachers out there that are listening. Bless you. Bless you. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's it, I think education's really changed. I don't know about when you went to school, but when I went to school, I mean, my teachers were great. But it was a very different environment. It was very much they stand at the front and kind of lecture and we sort of sit there quietly, you know. And I think now children are really encouraged to talk, to give their opinions. We want them to talk and, and you know, and, and be themselves and be individual. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 really um, it's really pushed through teacher training that that we're really aware of everything that's going on in their lives. And and so it should be, you know, we, we really have to sort of nurture the whole child, you know, not just the academics. So I think, yeah, I think it's really important. And the, the, the curriculum that you teach over in Czech Republic, is it different to the way kids are taught in England? So it's the Cambridge curriculum. So it's an international school curriculum, but it's, it's a British international school. So it's based on the British curriculum. So very, very similar. Um, so sort of all the objectives that you would have in the British curriculum, we are also... Uh, hitting. We obviously have to be mindful though, because, you know, we have an international cohort. So for example, my class, I've got, you know, Americans, I've got Chinese, Turkish, a lot of Czech children and British, you know, so we do have to adapt the language. We teach everything in English, but obviously I have to change my questioning. I have to approach certain tasks differently. The great thing is in sort of the international school scene, certainly where I am, assessment is not as strict here. So obviously, yes, we still have tests. We still have summative and formative assessment. But in the UK, you know, it's really harsh. In year two, we'd have our SATs and we'd be doing this and that. And uh, year two here, which is the year group I teach, we don't have SATs. So we're quite we're quite lucky in that, you know, in that respect. And I think a lot of international schools as well. It's just a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more relaxed. And would you say perhaps that life in Czech Republic is a little bit more laid back? I would, you know, I would say yes. Um, I would say that what I actually really like about this country is they seem to have really got the work-life balance down. You know, when I was in the UK, I felt like, you know, work is the number one priority. I feel like everyone's rushing around like headless chickens, you know. And it's almost like you needed to feel kind of um, really tired and burnt out to feel like you've achieved something, you know? And I think, I think here, you know, the weekends, everybody goes out into nature. Everybody's doing something leisurely, you know? And in the evening, everyone sits around and has dinner. Most people finish work here at three o'clock. 
I tried to go to the dentist the other day. I can't get an appointment uh, after three o'clock. And the same with the doctors. They're all, they all go home, which is, you know, fair enough. So, you know, they've got something right, I think. They, they really do sort of um, appreciate their, their leisure time. And I think, I think it's a bit healthier, personally. Oh, my God, I want to move there. <laughs> <laughs> you should. It's great. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. You know, we uh, people are sold the American dream. My family, especially, so my family is here from from Turkey and uh, and Syria. So I'm, I'm a white passing Middle Eastern woman. And so I've made it in America. But you were taught the American dream. And then we get here and it's first nine to five, then eight to six and then you work all hours and then you're on call and then there's overtime and all that stuff. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, with a country that's constantly on, everyone else has to be constantly on. And that's kind of why I wanted to start working for myself so that if my partner and I were like, let's go spend a month in the Czech Republic, I could just take my laptop and there's my job and just, and just go. But just the hearing about that, that it's built into the culture where busyness and hustle and you know, painstaking work is built into the culture here. It just seems like a very nice shift. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of capitalism at its best, though, isn't it, really? <laughs> you kind of, uh, but I've really noticed it because, you know, being growing up in the UK, it's just normal. You know, being a teacher, I mean, especially in the UK, you know, we're really taught like, you know, you need to be a role model 24 seven, even when you're sleeping, you are a role model, you know? Uh, and it's like here, it's kind of like, you are allowed to have your private life. You know, you are seen as, like you were saying earlier, you're not defined by your job. And I think that's really, um, that's really refreshing. And I think actually uh, a lot of countries could almost learn from it, you know, take that step back a little bit. Yes, but what about when people say, you know, do what you love and you will never work a day in your life. Um, I mean, Jennifer, what do you think about this? You have a successful hairdressing business. Could you tell us your story? Yeah, so I've had um, my salon for about 16 years. Um, I also run, um, I also teach other salon owners how to run a successful business. So, you know, that nine to five is like, kind of half seven till half seven for me <laughs> so I'm in, that, I'm in that I'm coming to check <laughs> I'm buying my plane ticket I'm on my way um so yeah it is busy and it hasn't stopped in lockdown <laughs> so I've managed to pivot very quickly and move all my coaching online and thank god for zoom and um broadcasting studios it's just been phenomenal what we've been able to achieve but I love it, so I don't feel like I'm working, which is epic. That's amazing. And, I mean, I know um, I was doing some Googling earlier, and, um, you know, in the last five years, there's been a 45% increase in the number of hairdressers and barbers and beauty salons in the UK. Um, there's a massive shift, I, I would imagine, for people to actually start to um, grow their businesses, and that's what you help with. Yeah, and interestingly, around 12,000 salons in the UK open every year. Um, however, we've been stagnant at around 40 to 50,000 for the last four years. So it's kind of 12,000 open, but 12,000 close. So, you know, that, that longevity of the business is really hard because the market is being flooded. Um, and so you really need to be on top of your game in, in this industry now, you know. 
normal is just not cutting it anymore. You've got to be expert in something, which is really interesting, actually. And uh, what I've loved about the coronavirus is it's absolutely 100% shown everybody <laughs> what we do because the amount of people that are like, oh my God, are you open yet? I need to get my hair done. Help me. Like, my roots are so long and my hair is so long and everybody wants in and we're just having to say no. But, it, you know, they people um, respect our industry now. They've realized that they cannot do without a hairdresser. <laughs> I'm dying over here. I'm like about to fly over there for haircut. I have a question, Jennifer. I, I'm curious about what made you transition because to do hairdressing and then to maybe train people in your own salon is one thing, but to, to kind of branch into coaching others is a whole different thing. So what, what sparked the transition from one to the other? Yeah, well, basically, I nearly lost my business. Um, I had run my business for um, 10 years, and I was what I call an upper. So I rocked up, I opened up, I cut a bit of hair, possibly had a bit of lunch, locked up, cashed up, and went home again. Um, I didn't really know how to run a business. Uh, It just kind of was organically growing and everything was okay until one day I realized that it wasn't okay. um, And I was running out of money very, very quickly. Um, So I decided to go learn how to run a business and went to a salon specific business school, um, 365 Coaching, and did a two year course with them and learned so much about running a business that just blew my mind apart and I I just remember sitting there thinking oh my god like this stuff's real it's actually a real business which was totally outside of my comfort zone and when I finished coaching uh, when I finished my two-year course with them as I went up onto stage to get my um, certificate to say that I had done my two years the head of education gave me a hug handed me my certificate and then said to me I want you to be part of the coaching team and spun me around and like headed me off so that I couldn't answer him because he knew I would say no because as a uh, 15 well 14 year old school dropout um, who's dyslexic being able to stand up there and coach somebody was like so outside of my comfort zone I was like never gonna do it um but they took me around and I just loved it and this passion just transitioned from hairdressing to helping hairdressing salons operate um in a much more business-like way because for some reason my industry doesn't realize that they are a business you know, they just operate on the thing that they know, cutting hair, and just hope to dear God it works out. And yeah, it seems like you had that like epiphany moment and and transitioned your passions, which is which is great as well. You know, um, growing up, um, you know, I've always been told to choose one passion and and go for it. But you know, um, actually, the way life works out for everybody is that you know you don't just have to have one passion and stick to it. You can you can transition to a different industries you know and I think all all of us here (laughs) have had that moment uh, of where we had to look at our life and and think clearly about what actually makes us happy and what doesn't I don't think I ever chose hairdressing if I'm completely honest it chose me (laughs) so I was um, 14 and just wanted a Saturday job and my father had said no because he felt it was shameful that his child wanted to go and 
earn money because we didn't have any. Um, and so I dragged my sister around the town for an entire day <laughs> and went into every single shop, every business, like, please give me a job. I want to buy. And it was a pair of trainers. That's all I wanted. <laughs> and, um, and the person that said yes was a hair salon. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I just, I quit school because I was bullied. I didn't want to be there. So I quit school and um, lied and said that I was 16 and went and did a, a, an apprenticeship <laughs> in the local college um, until my parents found out. Uh, that was a fun day. It's interesting that you've mentioned bullying because I feel that it happens so often, but it's almost as if it's taken for granted as something that does happen in schools. Um, I mean, Freya, what do you think? How do you approach bullying in your school yeah I mean it happens it happens everywhere but from the moment that the children walk through the door now age four they are uh, sort of brought into an environment where we teach mutual respect we use the word respect so much if we see someone being mean to someone else we say is that showing respect things like that we don't necessarily use words such as you know bullying and things like that but from a really young age we're really trying to sort of educate them to sort of you know look at other options you know we say are you making a good choice we really put the responsibility kind of back on them you know even at such a young age and that seems to really work actually both the British curriculum and the international curriculum really um, focuses on resilience and building that resilience at a young age and and sort of we learn how to deal with these things uh, and we kind of often think about the Taylor Swift song, you know, uh, Shake It Off. And we do a little Shake It Off, Shake It Off dance. And, you know, I find that really useful. And Jackie, what do you think about bullying being the reason for people getting um, unwound? Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things that I work with that I, I don't like to tell people straight away because they do get scared when I mention this, but I work a lot with childhood wounds. And so you know, that could be within your own family and school exacerbates it or the other way around. Some, I mean, I meet some people where when a kid bullied them in school, that was the first time they had ever heard they could not do something or they looked a certain way and it, and it rocks their world. And so when we are like, if someone told me at age 20, like I'm 26. And so if someone came up to me and said, girl, you got a big nose, I would be like, I I know. Thank you. So <laughs> that, that's it. But I remember being a kid and someone saying, what's up with your nose? And it rocked my world. It's it's interesting what we as, as kids, as eight-year-olds take with us. And I, I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, look, I know you're 30. I know you're 45. I know you're 21. But the reality is you're an eight-year-old with a very large skin suit on. You're still carrying what you've got from your childhood into your adulthood. And so I, I it definitely transcends. It definitely leaks out. I mean, who we are. I mean, okay. The best example I could give is this. I have a period tracker on my phone and it's, I know this is gross, but <laughs> I have one too. I, like one too. Well, I have, I it's have natural. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cause all the Americans would be like, ew. Okay. So essentially when I, when my period's a day early or a day late, I, when I finally log it in, it says updating predictions for the next cycle. And then it builds the next cycle off of what you just did, not the pattern it's always been. And so I use that example to say, when you're a kid and you find that one coping mechanism that works, your life predicts it, your cycle predicts it, and 
updates for the next time. So the next time someone bullies you, use the same coping mechanism and it's, it just works for you. It works for your heart and you carry that into adulthood. And so in adulthood, a lot of times people are still doing what they did as eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, four-year-olds um, to protect themselves and to cope. And so that's the work that I, I do with people is to help them figure out where they were at that time to see that, yeah, they perceived it as terrible because they were five, but it wasn't that bad. And then that's where the unlearning journey begins and they can start to like say, okay, there's very little from which I need to be protected actually in this situation. So I'm going to kind of take my hands off and not be so defensive or not be so scared or not withdraw into my mind castle or whatever that looks like. So it, it definitely makes a huge difference. And Jennifer, how important do you think it is to uh, know yourself that well? Um, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, it's business, it's not personal. But do you think you need to know yourself to know your business? I think you need to know definitely who you are because your brand is an extension of you. And so your core values and beliefs that run through you and into your business and your brand is a massive part of who you are. So you have to know who you are and how you function. But also, um, in terms of looking after your team and in terms of, you know, when you're at your best to produce the best work that you can do, you really need to um, be in, in track with yourself. Like Jackie was just saying about her period tracker. Like I know um, that there's certain times of the day that I'm really, really proactive. And then there's like between nine and 10, I am rubbish. I get in, I'm having a chat, I'm having a coffee, that whole hour is wasted. So I have to hack, um, hack myself and hack the way that I behave in order to get that hour back to be, a, to be in a proactive hour. So by knowing things like that and knowing when I'm due on and when I'm going to like literally eat my way through the entire day <laughs> and not get much work done because I'm too busy stuffing my face, you know, I, I have to know these things. So the period checker, absolutely with you, Jackie. Absolutely with you. <laughs> Jennifer, I'm just really curious because I used to get a lot of hair extensions, but I also did an online course and putting in hair extensions as well. And I was just curious. So you know the sort of salon industry really well. Have you noticed a sort of trend with things like people trying to to use an add-on, or have there been one that have there been ones that have been really successful or really unsuccessful? Okay, so I think the main thing to think to understand here is you just need to pick your lane and stay in it. You know, there there definitely is um, trends. You know, teeth whitening was really really big. I remember, gosh, about five years ago, those little um, fish that stuck with the skin of your feet, like they were everywhere. And those things, you know, they're great for five minutes if you have a strategy behind it because beauty inside of a, a hairdressing business and Botox and all that kind of stuff um, is a multi-service um, strategy just to hold clients and lock them down into your salon. You know, actually, if you look at a salon that has a beauty area, the beauty area is being kept afloat by the, the hairdressing salon. It very rarely actually makes money. Um, and so if you don't have a clear strategy behind it, you can get really lost in wanting to just give all these services out because you think, oh, I'm going to make money here and I'm going to make money there. And, I'm, and actually, you're not. You're losing money. 
Yes, I agree with that. It's similar to hospitality industry. Um, when restaurants try and get a gazillion things on the menu and they don't need to, it doesn't actually bring them any money. No, you need to pick your lane because if you know your ideal client right, really, really well, then what you do when you're posting on social media and when you're, you're putting your message out to your ideal client, you're, you're in their subconscious. And that's what grows your business. You know, not having a clear vision of where you're going and who you are as a, as a business and as a brand, you're, you're just sort of mouse shot in the world and nobody's going to come in. It's like missing the target every single time. And customers get that, don't they? They can smell it. If you don't know what you're talking about or what you're doing, they know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Could you imagine me whitening someone's teeth? I'd be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Don't mix it with hair dye. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wrong bleach. <laughs> and on that note, it's probably a good place to end. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been very interesting. Yeah, thank you very much. So what have we learned from today's podcast? We shouldn't take our personality traits for granted but should take the time to observe and understand who, why and what makes us, us, and we'll be happier for it. Unsurprisingly, being a teacher means being many things, but importantly, it means nurturing respect and resilience in the next generation. And to run a successful business, you need to know your numbers, so stop over-pleasing and start acknowledging what is actually bringing you results. Understand yourself and your brand. So what we actually learned is that we should all take a good look at ourselves and evaluate what we represent. Because change comes from within, and that is within yourself, within your business, within your community or your parliament. So take control, and in today's climate, also take the knee. Beautiful people